0: For those of y'all just tuning in, this is a In My Humble Opinion exclusive called Save the City. Um, we have all been concerned with the recent violence uprising that has been taking place, and we have a group of people here that love and want to make change, mm-hmm. right? So at this particular time, I'm going to kick it over to my brother Charles Lewis mm-hmm. and the questions that he has for the chief, the mayor, mm-hmm. Charlesville Tomorrow, and Shadé, all right?
1: Yeah, well, uh, thank you all again for joining us. So in this last half hour, you know, maybe a couple of segments left at the most. Um, but w- and I appreciate the conversation really doing. I think the community and and the listeners abroad do as well. Um, you know, the, the questions and comments are, are, are coming in, you know, in our inbox and stuff as well. People are really um, appreciating y'all taking our y'all time out to do this. Um, so, you know, as we said, the bottom line, right, is like, we are on this air we started imho not for the rhetoric but for to have open honest discussions bring the decision makers the power players to the table and to uh be open about it right so um the way that i want to kick this off you know as i look at you know our black female mayor our black female police chief our black news chief editor right um our are a black man of the community from born and bred in the community who turned his life around. So who's a living witness and example, right? And you know, my my business partner, my friend, you know, here, Max and razor, you know, like, so I'm looking at us. Right. And so when we talk about accountability, I'm going to take the onus. I don't know if anybody else will, but I'm going to put it on myself. And I challenge everybody else here on this call and every adult listening to do the same. Because we're talking about kids. Yeah. When we're talking about accountability, yeah. let's not forget that we're talking about children. I mean, like, there are some 18-year-old children. There's some grown men that's, that's living their second childhood. Yep. You know? Um, so when, when we say that, to me, we... Like the mentors have to be real. And I don't even like the term role models. We got to be real models, meaning that the mistakes that I made, Shade, the mistakes that you've made, when we're raising our kids, when we impart that truth to them, they can grow up and, and be able to maneuver, you know, like without the unnecessary pressures of I'm a failure or, you know, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mount to nothing. We have to be real models, right? So the mentors, our black professionals out there, um, donate some of your time. Yes. You know, don't, like don't donate your time and not just the mentors, but the mental health professors. We had one message come in and um, they may have tuned in after this was mentioned earlier. But when we talk about the mental health needs, the access, the resource that's there, that's something like that. I challenge whether it's a grant that council can help get, whether there's a mentoring organization, you know, um, that we have in town, you know, um, like whether it's um, no ego, 100 black men. Um, You know, whatever maybe may be, I'm going to call you out by name. Like we need to be there, um, particularly the professionals that can lend that, that help in hand. Like I said, if if you're listening and you're a mental health provider, why aren't we out there volunteering our time? Um UVA Equity Center, I know that, that they're trying to do a job of pooling together resources and to have these virtual uh, situations where people can dial in and whatnot. So there's people making the moves. And we got to be more present about it. Last thing that I'm going to say in regards to that is that, like um, I heard, um, you know, Brother Sade mentioned earlier of, um, you know, being 35 before um, knowing really knowing how to access uh, mental health. Right. And, and, and those resources. So my last challenge is directly for the parents, because I know for a fact that a lot of this comes down to if i don't like a certain person Mm -hmm. i ain't gonna be in the room with them that's right or if i don't like this about you then i'm not gonna like be a part of your organization or whatnot and and because of our stubbornness sometimes as a people we shortchange our next generation so that's what i'm saying (laughs) like i'm I'm not gonna put the onus on these kids i'm Mm -hmm. putting the onus on us everybody listening yep yep and charles if i could just
2: add to what you're saying um You know, when we call for real change and what does that look like and how everyone can get involved. So we know jobs are an issue. Mm -hmm. Why don't we have a job bank somewhere? Like you land bank when there's a vacancy and and what can be sold off. You know, we have all of these opportunities for jobs, um, internships and mentoring that you may not be able to pay them at some level, but you're giving them a skill. Mm You know what does it look like to be a welder a mechanic that's making 75 dollars an hour um you can you can infuse into a person's life i've recommended job banks we talk about what does homelessness look like um and how do we eradicate that you know there are a lot of people um you want to talk the talk do you open your home up um What does your mentoring schedule look like? When you talk about a real-time mentoring, we should have a bank of that, that where we have all of these individuals Mm -hmm. that we have access to on an Excel spreadsheet that says, this is my skill set. this is what my experience has been, please match me with, please match me with, be intentional about it. You know, we don't all get the two-year-old toddlers to be the person that we wanna be involved in their lives, right? What does that bank look like for available mental health services? You know, again, we talk about resources, but if there's no capacity because people are stretched to their end, right? They have nothing else left to give um, education and literacy. We should have banks mm-hmm. of that. People who say, you know what? I specialize in teaching adults how to read, right? So that they can make informed decisions. The key to what Sade said earlier is what his pathway looked forward. You know, when he looked out and said he had a pathway, he also had some personal agency where he could see inside that he had the capabilities the skills and knowledge to get him onto that pathway, to get him to his desired outcome. We have not created that opportunity in our young adults where one, they can see their way out of here and two, where they believe that they have the ability to do that. And we should be being intentional about the resources that we need. And again, these don't come from government. Government shouldn't be the, the primary source to fix these government you know government should not be the primary employer of communities Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we should be the primary employer of communities yeah what does that look like even in you know in my humble opinion are we bringing young folks in teaching them how to do yes ma'am we (laughs) (laughs) i know i know i'm not saying you're not but you know what i mean like are they in those places are they in wina the cbs 19 and 29, and I may have the numbers back, NBC, which one is which, who knows? You know, Seville tomorrow, do we have young folks where we're saying, let me teach you how to write. Let me teach you how to get your opinion out there. Here's That's how right. you can be heard, and nobody can shut you down. Yeah. So that rage and anger, you can get it out in so many different ways um, that can then lead to a productive, healthier, healthier lifestyle.
1: That's right.
3: Um, back chime in China real quick, um, in just to just to kind of piggyback, Um but see with me personally, just I, it wasn't nothing that I, I could see. Right. It was like I all I saw was what was in front of me. And at that time was still doors. Right. Mm. I was like, nah, no, yo, this ain't it. This cannot be it. Right. Mm. Even before then, I was in situations where it, it, it amazes me how I'm even alive today. Right. Getting yeah. somehow escaping. Gunfights and stuff, things, things of that nature that I should not be here for. From right, um, but I, the, the, the thing that the thing that I had to kind of answer for myself is: Is this how you want to go out? Right? Is this is this it? Do I do I want to end my life behind bars? Do I want to continue the cycle of coming into jail, bed after bed after bed? You know, and, I, and the, for me, the answer was no. Right? Because I was like, you know, what? I just can't quit. So, something has to shake. If I'm if I'm trying to change my life. It started with me with my belief system, right? So I had to, I had to start changing my belief system and how I how I viewed the world. And that changed how I dealt with my neighbor. That that changed how I saw my, the person to the, to the right and to the left of me, right? And I was like, you know what, I just can't quit. And that type of mindset, that resiliency is what, what led me into the right situations at the right time, right? But for those individuals who don't have that or who, who who just don't have that type of hope what are what can be what can we do or what can be um what how can they gain access to hope right right
0: yeah, one thing that I, I realized was that people in yeah. that situation don't take the opportunities that they don't know exist you know what i'm saying yeah. so when you don't know something is for you you can't take that opportunity and that's a sad place to be in
3: mm. yeah so to dr Brackney's point is It's not not just putting back individuals that mass incarceration took from us, but also empowering and and standing behind those who are there in the community right now. Mm-hmm. Like there's brothers and sisters I know on the front line right now that is doing good work, who's been doing good work, yeah. who just don't have the resources to continue to do it in the capacity they want to want to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we, how does individuals who are trying to position themselves as allies from nonprofits or organizations, how do they then have an impact by channeling resources to those individuals to continue their work? Right, everybody can't go to South First Street to have a voice. Everybody can't go to Page Street to have a voice. You don't have a presence there. and people don't know that you're there for them, that you care for them, you have relationships there. How, if you want to have an impact, find out who does and you get behind them. Right, because not everybody's not meant to be at the forefront. Well put. Everybody, a lot of people there, you you have the power to be in the background and know that your work is just as important as those who are on the front line
0: right well put well put
3: and i
4: just want to just that resource piece is so big even if we create um list and list and banks and banks of what people can contribute it's still different if you show up and tell me for 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour a week that you care about me <laughs> and you talk to me. Mm-hmm. It's still different if you then then can say after you learn what my needs are, you can point me to those That's right.
1: Needs. That's right, absolutely.
4: I'm um, left as empty-handed as I was before we started building that relationship. And that is the role when anything, anytime we talk about, um, because when we start talking about shifting resources, There is an assumption that these nonprofits get resources just, you know, like, you know, we are the government, whether it's local, state or federal, are the reason that these nonprofits have resources in um, the first place. And then there is the private donors that are funding these um, uh, nonprofits, and they're usually funding these nonprofits, some of them because passion, but there's also uh, tax um, implications that they Mm. get. You know, I mean, to write-offs that they can have from doing these donations. So there's usually a reason. Um, part of the conversation is how do we uh, kind of steer everyone in a direction where they're not doing this in the traditional way. We are we're still looking for people who have gone through these very traditional systems, have the most education, mm-hmm. and we are still considering them the experts. Um, and these are the same people, oftentimes. Who wrote the policies for mass incarceration? And we we're asking them to write the policies. Right. Um, yeah. do it, yeah. Reverse, reverse it. That mm-hmm. doesn't work. Right. And we know it doesn't work. But it's a very comfortable um, system that we have been recycling through um, forever. And when you when you read history and you read accounts of what's happening, there no one should be surprised why we're still having the same conversations that we have always had. And that people who were serving in the same roles as we are today had then um and how do you do that so when you talk about um i don't know what you said about they said you said you were 35 d (laughs) (laughs) now
3: thinking about mental health right Um, i I said i was 30 once i i got to be in front of a counselor Mm -hmm.
2: Uh
4: yeah okay and so um The significance, I think, with um, like just take home the hope right now is you're talking about people who are often overlooked, who even as we were attempting to create that program, that people said that these individuals are not qualified to do this work. Right. And they were not the traditional individuals and they did not have the traditional, um, you know, degrees, letters behind their name to say like you're qualified. And what I think if you talk to um, the individuals who was hired, one of them is here, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they'll tell Mm -hmm. you that giving them the resources that they may not have had before or having them see those resources in a different light, um, being able to say, take or leave whatever information you're getting um, that you can serve the people that you are serving best with is how... um, we change these systems. And Mm. so we got some traditional information, um, so some traditional training, but them being able to say, how do we use this training? What can we take and leave and not have to spend a decade, um, you know, using a system that may not work or a program or initiative that may not work, being able to take everything and make it their own, which means that what you have traditionally is where's the evidence based trainings you know how do we fund what we know that works and that's not how funding works i often use the example of dare the federal government they know dare has never worked but they don't have anything else to fund so they Mm. keep funding it listen to those discussions they say it right well what are we going to do if we take this away and because they don't have an answer they keep funding it So they've never had a real strategic plan of how to, um, you know, do that work around which they were saying war on drugs and how do we help people with that? And there was never an intention to solve that. And so Mm. that's I'm talking about policy issues and the people who are in positions of leadership, like the role that we play. And a lot of us have to um, remove what we even feel Um, make something successful and give people the opportunity um, to create it themselves and serve the community as a result of that. And we need more than four or five people, right? right. Yeah. (laughs) To do that and fighting even for the investment into those four and five people have been something that I've been doing for what, three years now. Um, And so when we talk about the slow pace of change, what if that um, commitment initially Started with twenty five fifty people
1: instead
0: of um five people, yeah. Let me it's, let me
1: because we have to break this cycle and like it has to stop being reactive every single time. Is that you get people who don't think it is a crisis until the violence happens in front of the crow or it happens on McIntyre Road? Is that mm-hmm. you didn't hear a lot of people calling for someone to do something when it was just on south first street it was on prospect avenue well let, let me
0: ask you, let me ask you this because that that's a great segue to this so getting back to what we were talking about earlier when you had people that said you know defund the police but we're not going to say defund the police while we're trying to solve these shootings and things i mean just they mm. they go hand in hand so how do we find that balance to where uh chief brackney And it has to be a difficult job for you. But how do we find that balance to where you interject trust in a community, but then you're expected to go above and beyond and solve the crime before it actually happens? Like, I don't see how. I don't that doesn't make sense to me and i'm not advocating for against the as
2: they're occurring right it's right? solve crimes as they're occurring so I, you know what i would just mention something that's been hmm. um trending on on media based on the events that happened at capitol hill right hmm. um and how you can take over an entire building um and they were equating them to the black lives matter Um, demonstrations and rallies after George Floyd, like literally where you just have an entire occupied state and nobody put one foot on the Capitol building, right? There was not even a foot on there um, because it was so entrenched. And one of the things that's been trending on media says, we don't want you... To shoot white people like you shot Black people we just don't want to be shot yeah. Like you didn't shoot them right. Right? right? That's the whole thing We just want to be treated fairly And justly mm. and equitably And it doesn't mean you can't solve Crimes by doing that mm-hmm. At the same time it doesn't mean that You can't get in front of Violent trends by doing Those things um, Part of the problem is, is as it continues To be is because people Are connecting Um, you know, this defund with reducing policing, sometimes you actually need more resources to get to, as Mayor Walker said, that sense of justice Mm -hmm. so that you can do it when people are under-resourced, overstretched, overtaxed, being asked to do everything on a spectrum, Uh um, the likelihood that you have a negative outcome is greater that's regardless of the profession you're in you have somebody who's in the service industry and they're working 70 hours a week and now they have to you know drive back and forth and they've got babies to take care of something is going to break Mm. along there the problem is is when it breaks in policing it normally costs lives and the people on the other end of that are often black men right so So why don't we talk
0: about racism more
2: Why don't we talk? I think we talk a lot about racism. I think what we need to talk more about is supremacy, right? And that's a different thing than being racist because supremacy talks about the institutions, and often racism Mm -hmm. lies with an individual. So I may be able to talk with an individual about their issues of racism, but it won't break the structural system of supremacy.
0: So, what do you think affected, like, at the Capitol? Because it seemed like.
2: Think? Oh, that would that Yeah, because if it means. had
0: been, in my humble opinion, had it been black lives up there, we would have had more bodies on the ground.
2: And, and again, remember what I just said, because that system is set up on a system of supremacy. Supre- okay. And who was meant to benefit. And oftentimes, um, you know, I'm not talking about my politics, but if you listen to Joanne Reed um, a day or two ago on MSNBC, she said that. The reason those exist is because of who they felt comfortable with, mm. right? The audience that was out there, the protesters, the rioters, the those persons who were involved in a revolt, an attempted coup,
1: mm. mm-hmm.
2: who did they feel like they were aligned with? When you look out along a sea of a a bunch of folks who look like white males and the people who are policing you look like a a bunch of white males, which they typically are, based Mm. on the demographics of policing, you often don't feel threatened at all. I've said Mm. before, over and over again, if Mm. my skin feels like a deadly weapon to you, I will always see you as a threat if I'm always afraid of that. Um, And so... It's the system that it's built on as well. And again, if we're talking about diversifying a system Mm -hmm. and we've had this conversation before, what does it look like when somebody like me is sitting in in this seat and and somebody like Mayor Walker, we talked about it yourselves, um, Sade and Elliot, do we get the same type of support as our counterparts? Are we always Mm -hmm. being judged with every word, every facial expression, every nuance of the Mm -hmm. words? Every tone that we use mm-hmm. um is being That's scrutinized key. to such a level mm-hmm. that we don't get the opportunities to implement the processes and programs and deconstruct programs um to benefit our communities. Mm-hmm. We're just not giving yes, that ma'am. benefit of the deep. doubt.
0: That's good. Yeah, let's take a let's take a our last break of the day. Uh we'll be wrapping this up for the seven o'clock hour and I wanna I want to thank y'all ahead of time before we take this break for everything that y'all have done, everything that y'all have said. Um, I know it has definitely helped me. Uh, We'll be right back. This is an In My Humble Opinion exclusive where we have deemed this Save the City. We'll be right back.